Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Salatu wassalamu ala rasulina wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa zilu barik ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Nawayna ta'alumu wa ta'alimu wa tadhakuru wa tadhkiru wa naf'a'u l-intifa'u wa l-ifaratu wa l-istifa'u wa l-hath'a ala tamasuki bi kitabillahi wa sunnati rasulihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. والدعاء للهدى والدلالة على الخير بتغاء مرضات الله ووجهه وقربه وثوابه اللهم افتح علينا بحكمتك وانشر علينا برحمتك يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا عليم وعلمنا من علمك ما ترضى به عنا ولا تآخذنا بما تعلمه منا يا حليم خلقنا بخلق الحلم وحققنا بحقائق العلم سبحانك لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم Bismillah. So we began last week this uh, short work on some of the characteristics and qualities of the Prophet wasallam, And it's called Munyat al-Sa'il uh, by Shaykh Abdul Hay al-Kittani rahimahullah ta'ala Khulasat al-Shama'il And uh, we had mentioned that the Shama'il is a particular type of literature about the Prophet wasallam. That is very important um, because it, it deals specifically with his qualities and his character traits and his behaviors and how he lived and how he ate and stuff like this. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, that's actually extremely remarkable. The amount of detail that we have about the choices and behaviors of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in all of these areas of life, it's extremely remarkable. That we have the level of detail that we have, right? That um, he used to wear his turban, and there's not a particular size. And then at this time there was a black one. At this time there was a white one. At this happened, that happened. Like oh, there's so many details about the things we know about the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that it's remarkable. And those things are not to be taken lightly, because the the when when you when we love somebody, we care to know things about them. And the most important thing that we can do and it's part of loving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to love the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and uh, for most of us who probably are uh, somewhat aware of our, of our shortcomings and aware of the mistakes that we make and stuff like that it's a, it's a, and, and it's part of kind of like the tradition of Islam is to have to recognize one's shortcomings and mistakes and to put one's hope in their love for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that this thing I can be sure about. My own deeds and the quality of my deeds and whether or not they were acceptable and all of those kind of things, Allahu A'lam. But when it comes to loving the Prophet wasallam, this is something that I can actively invest in and inshallah be somewhat sure about. And hopefully that will be a means by which Allah overlooks our shortcomings and a means by which the Prophet wasallam, uh, intercedes on our behalf. So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam it's it's a big deal to know him the more we know the more we can appreciate him the more we can love him uh generally it's it's more challenging to love things that we don't know well and the the more details we know and the more things we feel like oh you know subhanallah that's why even what I was saying about Mondays and stuff you know really we shouldn't say that because you know the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was born on that day and uh, at least out of love for the Prophet them I should love Mondays. <laughs> so, you know, challenging for people, I think, here, because our day starts on Monday. You know what makes it easier is if your, your week starts on, uh, your week starts, if your week starts on Sunday, it's easier. <laughs> if you have Friday and Saturday off, like in many places around the Muslim majority world, then, you know, loving Monday is easier than it is here. But... <laughs> Uh, we should love these things, and and you know, out of we love for we love out of out of for the sake of love, you know, out of uh, for the hope of love. That that that's something that has to be part of our lives. So uh, you know, this this again is a very short work on this topic, just enough to give us some level of introduction. And you said again, you know, part of doing this at this time of the year. Is that uh, we we are approaching the month wherein the Prophet sallallahu was born, and so uh, you know it's it's a good time to review this. Okay, so Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. قال المصنف رحمه الله تعالى ونفع الله يهوب علمه في دارين آمين. Uh, 
This section is on his izar, on his uh, garment that is worn over the lower part of the body. So, you know, something that you wear on your around your legs in the midsection. Um al-badan. So it covers the lower part of the body. Bikhilaf al rida which covers the top top upper part of your body. They said that the Prophet had a thick piece of cloth. It was a thick piece of cloth that he would wear. And uh, it was also what he would be he was buried in, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, what he would wear as his Izar. And it would go to the middle of his kind of like his calf, calf area. This is of course for men. Um, uh, this became actually in some places this even became a cultural issue. I don't know if it still remains the case, but there is a point, at least in Philadelphia, where if someone wore if a man wore pants that were like above his ankle, then it became known as flooding. They call it flooding. Like, oh, <laughs> like, oh you, you flooding? Like, it means you're wearing pants. And it became a style because of the Muslims who lived in that area, who the Muslim men in that area who would wear pants above their ankles out of love for the Prophet them. So that became like a general in the community thing in Philadelphia. That happens in Philadelphia because there's a lot of Muslims there. Uh, with a very strong cultural influence, so you know they said it's like, "Oh, you flooded now," so, or or uh, even another brother told me about a, a situation in uh, in the D.C. area. Assalamualaikum, how are you? Uh, where a brother was, uh, he went to the barber shop and he told the barber, you know, to like clean up his beard but not to cut it too much. And the barber, who's not a Muslim, asked him if he's rocking the Sunnah. Right, like, but just because like you know, people come in and they get their beard trimmed and they're like, leave it because I'm trying to get the sunnah, and the barber like picked up on it. You know, becomes like th- there's a cultural um, currency there that's really really important, uh, which also is kind of like a reminder to us too is that one of the nice things about America is that you can kind of do your thing, and if you do it with Ezza and honor and self respect and like people people respect you for it. You don't always have to do what other people do. And that's that's not actually like doing what everyone else does is like the first layer of being American, quote unquote. You know, what the second layer of being American probably is like feeling comfortable enough that I'm going to do what I want to do, and that that is part of the culture in a sense of the country, which is really cool. You know, you can you can do things like that, and at least in some places you get you get respect for it. In some places, you know, that's a whole that would require a whole commentary on society and class and race in America but we'll, we'll leave it here for now and the Prophet them used to uh, he wouldn't like for men's thobe to go below the ankle and that's a big conversation in our community because some people made it a bigger issue than it needed to be but suffice it to say that there's uh, a difference of opinion on the interpretation of the hadith in this regard and uh, it's not really that big of a deal that we should be creating problems out of it so that's his izar the next topic is on his manner of walking sallallahu alaihi wasallam his manner of walking um, so it says that he would kana idha masha ardu tutwalahu that it, when he would walk it's as if the earth is being rolled up underneath him it's as if the earth is being rolled up underneath him, which means that he's walking so fast that you think like the wor- the earth is rolling up underneath him because he's moving. He knows where he's going and he's going there. The opposite of what was uh, popular culturally when I was young. What was popular culturally when I was young was that you walk as slow as you possibly can. I don't know if anyone remembers that that era. It was really weird. But uh, this is the opposite. The, and the Sahaba, they used to say, the Prophet would be walking so fast that for them to keep pace with him, they tire themselves out. Just to keep pace with the Prophet. And uh, like he's not he's not trying to walk fast. He's just walking fast. You know, like some people when you're walking with them and you just always end up behind them and they're not it's not like they're trying to walk super fast or something you're just always trying to catch up with them <laughs> and there's just a difference in the pace and it's it's such that the prophet send them was he would walk very fast without he himself looking like he's walking fast it would seem like he's going normal but everyone else who's trying to keep up with him they can't keep up with him sallallahu alaihi wasallam 
They say actually also that when he would walk, one of the ways that it's described is like uh, like water that's flowing down a hill. You know, like when when there's water that's that's you know you imagine like a rainy day or something, and you go to a place where there's a hill, and you look in the in the gutter, and the water is just like flowing down, and it has a pace to it, and it's moving fast. Like the prophet said, he's he's walking like. He and but he's flowing with it. Um, and they say that also when he would be walking fast on Allah he would have like a slight lean to the front so he'd have a slight lean forward and he's moving uh, and, and he wouldn't kind of like sway to the left or the right so he walks directly to where he's going and uh, you know he's deliberate in that regard I think that there is an interesting um, perhaps metaphor in that that this is kind of like part of how we, we should maybe look at things sometimes. It's like I determine where I'm going, and once I know where I'm going, I go there. And I, I take my direction, and I go down that route, and I don't go left, and I don't go right, and I don't do this, and I don't, and I don't go really slow. You know, uh, I've started teaching kids recently, so probably a lot of my examples are going to end up revolving around teaching kids now. But... <laughs> it just reminds me of like classwork, you know. You tell them do this. Some of them are like over here. They're gone left. Some of them are gone right. Some of them are going so slow, you know. Some, of th- but if you if you just like, this is the thing, just go ahead and do it, right? Have be deliberate, be focused. This is what if you want to take a different angle on it. Another, another angle would be just like to not multitask on things that we're doing. To focus on all right, I'm doing what I'm doing right now is I'm coming here and I'm gonna sit with my spouse I'm going to sit with my child I think that was recently we talked about this idea of 15 minutes of undivided attention with the child making a big difference in their life and how ridiculously little 15 minutes is when you really think about it but like most of the time our attention is not undivided you know so it's up to the point that in Salah our attention is not undivided right so sometimes it's just that I need to know okay right now this is what I'm doing and everything else can wait so right now I'm going to spend this 15 minutes with so-and-so or I'm going to spend a half an hour in this right now and I'm going to really be in this for half an hour. So I'm going to I'm going to point in this direction and I'm going to lean forward and I'm going to go and I'm not going to sway from side to side and I'm not going to move slowly. I'm just going to do this thing. Uh, and I, I think that that's really, really important. Um, but, you know, I won't belabor it too much. He also used to, they say, he used to wear, like it goes into a different chapter, he used to wear kind of like a piece of cloth underneath his hat or his turban. Because it's said about him that he used to um, apply uh, oil to his hair, you know, like kind of like a, he would oil his hair, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So what then, the, the concern would be that if you have oil in your hair or something, that it will uh, dirty your turban or your hat or whatever you're wearing, right? So he used to wear like a layer underneath it and then the, the turban on top of it. He would put this uh, piece of cloth between his hat and his, uh, and his head. In regards to his manner of sitting, uh, it says, كان يحتبي بيديه وهي أكثر جلوسه صلى الله عليه وسلم. As far as I understand, and maybe some uh, someone, if you if you know, correct me if if I'm wrong on this. That means that he used to sit and hold his legs, like they used to do this with their turbans too. You know, sometimes we assume that like everyone, it was super easy for them to sit on the ground and stuff. <laughs> it's not. It's not always. You know, they th- what they would do is they would have their they would have like a turban. If you have a turban and you put it behind your back and you bring it in front and you sit with your knees like this and then you tie the front. So you pull it and you tie it and then you can just sit like that. You can sit like that for a long time because now like your body's holding your body together. Whereas, uh, you know, otherwise it might be hard to sit like that for an extended period of time. So he used to sit like that, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It also says that he used to lay down, even in the masjid, he would lay down and like put one leg over the other. So, like, there's there's etiquette, and then there's just being like a normal person. Doesn't mean that he would like necessarily lay down in front of everyone. It wouldn't be like, you know, 
get down from the minbar and then like I'm gonna lay down in front of the jama'ah or something. But like you know, his his home is there, the masjid is there, nobody's around, or like a few people around him and his friends or something. Sahaba, then he might lay down. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Then it goes into his leaning. So his leaning. So he would uh, like lean on pillows. يَتَّكِيُ عَلَى وَسَائِدْ مَرَّةً عَلَى يَسَارِهِ وَمَرَّةً عَلَى يَمِينِهِ وَهُوَ غَالِبٌ Then he would lean on pillows. So if he's sitting on the ground or something, he might lean to one side, he might lean to another side. So sometimes he would lean to the left, sometimes he would lean to the right, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the right was more common. But he did, however, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, speak specifically about that, that one should not eat like that. So, you know, they could, you know, you could sit and like kind of lean and you know just do your thing like you normally would but when it comes time to eat that a person should not eat like that and it's it's not mentioned here in the text but uh, one of the hadith about that says that basically like that's the that's the style of eating of kings and that's not really like you know they just feel like I can lay however I want and like put the food in my mouth and just but that's not it's not really like a humble it's not a humble way of eating and it's not a respectful way of eating and um you know, subhanAllah, there, there is like a way to eat. <laughs> you know, even in American culture, there's a way to eat. There, it wasn't just like people eat whenever they feel like it and whatever way they want. You know, I'm not saying, to, I'm not saying this to like, uh, nobody take anything personal. I'm just saying that this is, um, there's, there's good etiquettes in these things. So he said, Allah would, would say that like, you shouldn't lay down and like drop the grapes in your mouth or something right like the the pictures you see um and he wouldn't do that generally speaking these kind of prohibitions just to, just to also make a point that might help you when you're reading some of the books and stuff generally speaking these kind of prohibitions are not prohibitions of hurma they're generally prohibitions of karaha just to be uh, they're generally prohibitions of uh something being disliked and not being prohibited so it's it's important distinction because you'll read the book like I've said before if you read Riyadh al-Salihin you're going to come to this big chapter in Riyadh al-Salihin on prohibited actions and probably the first thing that you're going to think of in prohibited means it's haram and for the vast majority of those things prohibited doesn't mean that it's haram it means that it's disliked so you know still better not to do it but it's very different than if it's than if it's something that you absolutely should not be doing Right. Uh, it also mentions that he, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, would, if he was like in pain or something, he would lean on people. So it says that, for example, when he was in a state of being affected by some pain, when he would go out to the masjid and stuff like that, he would lean on whoever. So he would lean on like Usama ibn Zaid, radiallahu an. Specifically, are mentioned Usama ibn Zaid. He would lean on Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhu. He would lean on Ali, radiallahu anhu. He would lean on. So all of these are uh, examples that he would do that. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So what what does it say then about some of the like behavior or descriptions of the way that he would eat? Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. If he finished eating something, he would lick his fingers. If he finished eating something, he would lick his fingers. Uh, some people might look at this and be like, oh, you know, we need to be civilized and this and that. We, we should be careful. That's what we should be, <laughs> is careful in the way that we talk about some of these things. Uh, sure, you can eat with silverware. No one's saying you have to eat with your fingers. But uh, he, if he ate with his fingers, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would lick his fingers afterwards. And he, and he would also, and he would complete, and he would finish the plate, you know. Um, sometimes we see people from like certain ethnic backgrounds and stuff and you'll see them or older generations of people and they'll be like really strict about finishing the plate and sometimes I think there's an assumption in people's head like oh they do this because they've like seen hunger or they've seen poverty or they're trying to be respectful for poor people and so on and so forth there's probably some truth in that but my impression in talking to some of these people too is more that like they do that because that's what the Prophet them would do and they want to follow the Sunnah and and they real and they believe that there's merit in following the Sunnah and there's a blessing in that. And of course there is. Like that's again it has to do with the etiquette of how we engage with food. 
and how we think about food and so on. So he would lick his fingers. He would also say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that like a person should finish everything that's on the plate. Thank you. Oh God. Every time someone brings me something like that, I'm afraid I'm gonna like fall into the earth. Just gonna swallow me. <laughs> it's gonna like before I can reach the cup. Like, will I be able to drink before the earth swallows me? I don't know. We should be bringing you guys things. This is horrible. Um, so he would lick his fingers. He would finish the plate. He used to say that you don't know. You should finish the plate because you don't know where the barakah is. This again is like, how do we think about food? That there's that there's barakah in the food. And so it, it might be that Allah placed the secret of the barakah in like a part of the plate that you missed because you didn't finish the plate. So now you, you ate your like two thirds and you missed out on the part that actually mattered. Um, parents don't, you know, don't use this as a method to control your kids into eating broccoli and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> may, may, may we all finish our plates and eat our vegetables and be healthy, inshallah. I'm really bad at that. Uh, so he would lick his fingers. Usually he would eat with like three fingers. If he was eating with fingers, he would eat with three fingers. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He would eat dates. You know, he would, it says like, وَأَكَلَ تَمْرًا وَهُوَ مُسْتَنِدٌ إِلَى حَاءُدْ مِنْ شِدَّةِ الْجُوعِ Sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. So that he would, eat, he would eat dates and he's leaning on the wall because of the severity of his hunger. So he's so hungry that he's leaning on this wall. He can't like just, he needs the support and he's eating the dates. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And it says, وَأَكْتَرُ أَكْلِهِ خُبْزَ الشَّعِيرِ the, the most common thing that he would be eating is like bread made out of barley. Um, so it's very, very simple food. He would never have leftovers. Says. They wouldn't have leftovers. Because, because why? Because they didn't have much. It says, Because their food was so little that there's, not, there's no leftovers to be had in the first place. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Shaykh Abdul Hayyur rahimahullah, he says that in the, in the later part of the life of the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is when uh, he first started to have like bread that's made out of flour, you know, like white flour, nice, nice white bread, <laughs> you know, like bread that's made with this, that tastes in that way. But everything before that was really like coarse, uh, tough bread. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And he wouldn't eat on a table that had legs. It says, "Alati laha arjun." You know, like they would eat low to the ground on a sufra. On like a tablecloth, Dostar Khan, one of these type of things. Um, and he would have uh, like small utensil, like bowl type things he would eat from Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Does that mean you have to eat on the ground? I mean, we shouldn't have to say these things over and over again, but inshallah we'll get to know them after time. Just because the Prophet them did this doesn't mean you have to do it. He, he would eat on the ground, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Do you have to eat on the ground? No. He would eat with his fingers. Do you have to eat with your fingers? No. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Him doing something only indicates that it's permissible. In and of itself, at the most basic level, him doing something, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, only indicates that it's permissible. And him not doing something doesn't indicate anything. Like in the sense of, he just didn't do it, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You can't derive a ruling from that. Um... So, you know, that he ate on the floor, doesn't mean you have to go eat on the floor. Do I personally think there's merit to eating on the floor? I personally do. I think that there's a lot of benefit in eating on the floor. Did they used to eat from, like, individual plates? No, they didn't eat from individual plates. You have, like, a plate that everyone eats from. There's a tablecloth that's put on the floor. You put the plate down. Everyone eats from the plate. And that's why there's, like, hadith about eating from what's in front of you and so on and so forth. And that someone passes you. And there's all these etiquettes around it, right? Do you have to do that stuff? No. But for anyone who's experienced it, I'll tell you, like eating on the floor around a single plate with other people is a different eating experience than just like throwing something on a plate and putting it in your mouth. It's, it's, it's just a different experience. Um, and, you know, there's no guilt in that. I'm not like trying, again, I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone. But we used to, and when I was in college, one of the blessings that we had was that we were all college students, obviously. Who didn't really have anything so other than what our parents gave us and we were trying to be respectful of the things that our parents gave us so our apartment didn't have much like all that anyone really had was something to sleep on 
Uh, welcome, welcome. Come on in. Assalamualaikum. There's something to sleep on, which in my case was like a few blankets. It was great. It was like the best days ever. Just have a few blankets. You sleep on the floor. You roll it up. You have all that space back. <laughs> it was wonderful. And then when it would be dinner time, we didn't have a dinner table or anything. We just put the, the sakhan down, and everyone would like you know put the food in the middle, and everyone would eat it. And those are like some of the some of the best memories ever as a college students and everyone sitting around and talking and eating the food together and stuff. And I think that for families, that's good too. I, we don't do it because our children are small. Small children are very difficult to control when stuff is on the ground, <laughs> you know. But uh, inshallah, hopefully, as they get older, our legs will allow us to do so. So he would si- he would sit on the ground. And he would eat on the ground. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Okay, I said that. It's amazing. He says he never was filled of bread and meat twice in a day. Ever. His whole life. Uh, you know. It's like uh, definitely in America, it's true that people are like, if if there's, it, it's starting to shift with all this health stuff and veggies and all these kind of things. But like at least when I was growing up, the principle was if there's no meat in it, it's not a meal, right? So like everybody, every single meal has to have some sort of meat in it and so on. Like there's gonna be meat, there's gonna be bread, there's gonna be this, there's gonna be that. So he sent along right, and them was like that. Um, there's some beautiful things that the that the compiler says here. Um, so he didn't, you know, um, he's, it's not saying that someone else can't do it again. This is what he did. It's not saying that if like you ate in the morning and you ate well and you ate in the evening and you ate well without overeating, but you ate well, and just, you know, normal. There's no problem in that. It's not saying that it's, it's wrong. It's just he didn't do it. And that was on his own ikhtiyar. That was on his own choice. Uh, so it says uh, So it was something that This was a lifestyle that he chose This was his choice He wanted to live that way And uh, it wasn't something that he was forced into Because uh, The expression here that's used really beautiful that, That's really remarkable He says Because the, the doors and the treasures to all of the earth Were open to him Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam before before battles and after battles, by the way, like Jibreel salam came to him, they offered, they told him, you can have whatever you want, and his choice was not to have that. Yes. I'm just wondering if there's any sort of text that might have or might indicate to us why he chose that preference or that. So one of the, one of the wisdoms he says here is that, and that's out of um, basically being sensitive to the poor amongst his ummah. So, you know, it, it's, that's really remarkable. If you really just kind of like sit with that for a little bit. For a regular person, it's not really, you know, like I have enough to eat comfortably, alhamdulillah, and I eat comfortably. And it's not like, well, may, maybe, but like if someone's not able to, and you're just a regular person, that's one relationship. But like when you're the Prophet, them, like he doesn't want them to feel left out. This is like a sun, you know, if his sunnah was that he was eating these beautiful, wonderful things and so on and so forth, this is something that they wouldn't be able to have. His sunnah and what he ate is accessible to everybody, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's the basic minimum. And it's like he says out of, out of basically being considerate to the feeling of, of those who are uh, less fortunate among the believers. Even to the point that uh, when, again, when the futuhat happened and the countries were conquered and like all this money is there, he still didn't do it, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It still wasn't something that he did. And uh, it says that, uh, he says something again very beautiful here. MashaAllah. MashaAllah. Says because you know we he says and it's and one and it's feared for the one, it's feared for the one, who says about the Prophet them that he was poor and that's why he was doing this, right? Because what did Allah say about the Prophet about his relationship with the Prophet? 
He found you in need <coughs> and he gave to you. So like you can't say about him that he was this way, but that he was, uh, you know, out of, again, concern for the, the believers and for establishing a baseline sunnah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Uh, as to kind of like the things that he would eat with his food, you know, we mentioned before that he would eat uh, vinegar with his food. Um, and he would encourage people to eat like oils with their oil and fat, animal fat with their food and stuff like that. That was part of what he did, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yeah, and olive oil in particular, he mentions in Allah and them in, in narrations that uh, some of them are more debatable than others, but uh, he would do it nonetheless. It's also one of the things that's narrated that he used to love, uh, kind of like, um, I think it's a category of food, Imam Mustafa, you might know, but the um, they translate it as pumpkin, but pumpkin is probably not a good, it's like a squash or like squash, squash family of, of foods. Uh, that he used to like those sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and that if there was like a dish he'd look for it in the dish sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he, he favored that these are his preferences again um, and then the comment the, the author has like a really long discussion on what is that type of squash that's mentioned in the narrations and like where is it found nowadays uh, it doesn't really apply to us so uh, in the sense of the language that's being used doesn't make I can't make any sense out of it um so I'm <laughs> just going to skip that whole part. Uh, it's also mentioned that the Prophet them would like the leg of, of certain types of animals. He liked the, the shoulder of, of the goat and stuff like that. them. It says that, um, for example, he would, if there was like a meat in front of him, he would take the knife and cut it himself and take the piece that he wants. So I, I think part of what's taken from all these kind of things is that when the Prophet them was with the people, he wasn't like... They put the food down in front of him and they like fix everything for him and they have to do everything for him and he can't do anything himself. Like, it wasn't like that. They put the food down, people are going to eat together and it's going to be perfectly natural. It's not going to be you know, anything uh, weird about it. And they'll have the respect that they need to have with him and everything else, but it's not going to be taken to some uh, over overdone level either. Um... Uh, that we already mentioned we already mentioned uh, he also used to eat um, tharid tharid was like this kind of like a porridge you know it's like a, a food with a little bit of broth to it I mean basically the food of the Prophet them was, was very simple and it wasn't something that he made a huge issue out of if something was put in front of him, it was put in front of him. If it wasn't, like he, uh, I, I'm hesitant to say these kind of things because then people get offended and stuff. But like, the the culture of the Prophet Sallallahu them with food wasn't like a culture, like a foodie culture. <laughs> you know, it was you you respect the food, you honor the food, you eat it, and if it's good, you eat more. If you don't like it, you don't eat more, and like you move on with life. It's it's your food. Um, that doesn't mean that like we shouldn't have ihsan. We shouldn't think about making things taste nice and stuff like that. Of course, alhamdulillah, Muslim, Muslim cultures and things have really, really good food. And we've done a good job in that. And we should serve people and everything else. But uh, it doesn't have to be overdone. Uh, the author, he mentions something nice here at the end of this section. He says that uh, the things that the Prophet ﷺ loved, and you think about this in the sense of what we were saying in the beginning, that Part of why all these things matter is to know what the Prophet them did and to love the things that he did and try to do the things that he did and so on. And that's out of our love for him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And uh, Shaykh Abdul Hay, what he says is that the things that the Prophet them loved were things that were connected to the previous messengers. So like now we're talking about we love these things because the Prophet did it. And the Prophet loved certain things because they were connected to the messengers that came before him. Right. So he says, for example, that his... Um, his his appreciation for the the squash family relates to the story of Yunus salam and and what happened with Yunus and how Allah brought this uh, this this squash to him in his time of need basically um, and that his love for like a stick or a staff is out of his love for Musa salam and that his love for the qamis is out of his love for Sayyidina Yusuf alayhi salam. Salam alaykum. Oh, 
Hedde. And that his love for the, the qamis is out of his love for Yusuf salam, and Yusuf's qamis. Uh, and that his love for the Salah Ibrahimiyyah Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Ali Muhammad kama salli ta'ala Ibrahim wa ala Ali Ibrahim His love for the Salah Ibrahimiyyah is out of his love for Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam And that his love for like his his wearing of rings was out of uh, love for the ring that Sulaiman alayhi salam wore So he's saying like all these things the Prophet sallallahu used to do actually many of them have precedent and things that other other messengers did um, and so it's again it's it's out of love it's you know so by their guidance follow their guidance so you know they did these things so he would do these things sallallahu alaihi wasallam there's also a section on like his kind of uh, washing his hands before and after food some people may have seen that from uh, you know, it, it's interesting again because one of the things that I think has happened sometimes in uh, in our community right now in America is that you know we tried to sh- we tried to sift between what is a cultural practice of a particular people and what is actually Islam, and I think sometimes what we didn't realize is that that's not always a really clear line. Like there's there's some things that are definitely Islam. There's some things that are particular cultural practices that may oftentimes even be in contradiction to Islam. And then there's a whole range of things in between that are not like particularly sanctioned, but they come from a particular spirit. Right? They come from or and sometimes people do them and we think that they're cultural things and they're not religious things because we just don't know the religious basis behind it when there actually is one. You know, so you m- again, the point is you might find culturally some people are very particular about washing their hands before they eat and after they eat. And not just because it's flu season or something like that, but because they just want to do that. And that's because there's narrations that the Prophet them used to do that. So, and then there's narrations that, you know, said that he, he wouldn't. Um, so it's not like you, you have to do it type thing. But that he used to sometimes. He used to wash his hands before... Um, he he says the author here says ghaslun yadin qabla ta'ami sunnah meaning sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam washing your hands before you eat is a sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam wa ba'dahu sunnah musawiyah he says that and and to do it afterwards is a sunnah of musa alayhi salam and then he brings a narration from um Salman al-Farisi who says that he read in the Torah that there's a there's a blessing that comes from the food when the person eat, washes washes their hands afterwards, so you know these are just you know etiquettes people might do, uh, and the Prophet them there's a narration that that from him sallallahu alaihi wasallam that again is not of the st- strongest uh, authenticity, but you know, again you know people sometimes will use hadith that are of not as strong reliability in areas that are not law they're not belief they're just Virtuous actions, so you know there's there's a weaker narration that says that the, the blessing of food is in washing one's uh, hands before and after. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We know also that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam used to mention na- God's name before he ate. Um, recently, I was uh, I was somewhere and I, n- I noticed you know that's also one of the good uh, cultural qualities like. B- Classic American cultural qualities That's good Right This idea of saying grace Saying grace is a really beautiful concept Like first and foremost You can't say grace Until the whole family sits at the table So the food has to be placed Everyone has to sit around the table Once everyone sits around the table It's known who the head of the table is Right And it's usually the father Or the grandfather or Whoever it might be And the head of the table determines Who it is that's going to say grace Because it's their haq Right, it's their it's their right as the head of the table that they're going to be the one that says it, and if they decide to give it to someone else, then they can give it to someone else, and basically everyone's going to hold hands, and they're going to thank God for the food that they have, and make kind of like a niya for the food. So there's there's a level of there's a grat there's a specific act of gratitude that's made, there's a specific intention that's often made for the food itself, and then there's like a prayer, and then everyone says amin or amen. And they eat the food. Right, this is a really beautiful etiquette around food. 
Um, so the Prophet them obviously the, his his basic minimum etiquette for food was that one says the Bismillah before they eat. They say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Uh, and if not, then like the, he he says that there's even an effect on what the food is going to do for you. And uh, you know this is kind of what we've talked about before that part of our worldview is that there are things that are very clearly understood and observable. And there are things that are not clearly understood and observable. They're known through revelation. So the Prophet ﷺ will tell you that there's barakah that's lost in food if you don't say the bismillah. And that you will have to eat more food if you don't say bismillah before you eat your food in order to achieve the same consequence. Now someone would look at it and be like, well, that's not observable. Let me do an experiment. You, 12 of you, say Bismillah before you eat, and you, 12 of you, say Bismillah after you eat, and like, tell me what the consequence is and all these kind of things. It's not, you know, like, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creator of everything at every single moment. So the feeling of satiation that occurs in the person and the, the nourishing of their body, every single little thing is created by Allah in every single moment. So if you, you're going to say that saying Bismillah doesn't affect it, of course it affects it. It has a tremendous effect upon it. So the Prophet ﷺ says that مَنْ أَكَلَ وَلَمْ That the person who eats and they don't mention the name of God before they eat, shaitan eats with them. That's what he said wasallam. Someone would look at that and be like, well that doesn't even make any sense. And if you're going to go down that route, all of your religion is gone. <laughs> Sorry to break it to you. Like, yeah, there's some, some logic you have to have. Like, why do I believe the Qur'an is true? Why do I believe that the hadith are, some of them are more reliable, some of them are less reliable, and so on. And at some point, there has to be a submission to inherited knowledge that comes from the unseen. Right? Otherwise, like, if you're going to go down that route, eventually you're going to come to the Qur'an. You're going to say, well, how is it possible that the throne of Sheba was, uh, it was in... East Africa and then all of a sudden it's in front of Sulaiman How is that even possible? doesn't make any sense Ooh, Careful <laughs> Careful, your ste- the steps are going into very very dangerous territory now So he said وسلم, The person who doesn't mention the name of God when they eat Then the shaitan eats with them And uh, if, they, if they start to eat and they forget And, and they forget to say Bismillah in the beginning Then when they, when they remember they should say Bismillah awwaluhu wa akhiruhu or Bismillah fi awwalihi wa akhirihi that Bismillah in the beginning and the end this is kind of like the rectification um, and, the, and the Prophet them would actually teach some of the younger companions that like he told one of the companions come when they were having food he said come close come close to the food and, and say the name of God and eat, eat with your right hand and eat that which is in front of you so he taught him these etiquettes Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam of how it is that uh that one should eat <coughs> And then of course he also taught us a dua to say after we eat So one of them is Alhamdulillahi nidhi at'amana wa saqana wa ja'alana min al-muslimin Or muslimin That all praises to Allah the one who uh, fed us this And gave us this drink and made us Muslims And uh, one of the things that I heard Imam Suhaib Webb say about this long time ago SubhanAllah I thought it was a nice reflection was that you know it's we after the person eats they praise Allah for the food and the drink that they had and they also recognize that just as there's physical nourishment there's also spiritual nourishment so they praise Allah for the food and the drink and they praise Allah for being from the muslims because that's their spiritual nourishment so their body and their they're, they're giving gratitude for their body and their soul and the blessings of both of those um, and there's there's other duas that are mentioned as well uh, I mentioned that he would have like a little bowl that he would eat, you know, drink things, a wooden bowl that he would drink from, that he would eat honey from or drink milk from or different things. You know, it's amazing about this stuff. And of course, we have a specialist here in Mona on these kind of things is that these methods of living were extremely um, environmentally friendly, right? Like you have your, e- even the idea of, of, of a bowl versus a plate, like a bowl... If you have a right-shaped bowl, you don't need a plate anymore. You just don't need it, so you won't have one. Right? So your bowl suffices you. If you, if you have a, a, a certain shaped other bowl, you probably don't need a cup anymore either. 
So now all you all you have is these two bowls, and you're good to go. And it's made from something natural. You're not gonna you're not gonna like change it out all the time. You're gonna reuse it over and over again. And all of those are are really beautiful things. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam that he taught us. So I think uh, we'll stop here. We're stopping on the section that is about the f- the fruits that he used to eat. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So we'll st- we'll stop here. Uh, any questions or comments before we close the dua? Observations, things people want to share, anything people have. Nothing. It's an exceptionally like mellow Sunday today. I don't know what's going on, but you know, Alhamdulillah, every day is a different day. Yes. I give salam to Allah. Yeah. Uh, uh, min 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 Yes. Yeah. So, uh, is is it related to Shaba Shaba? It's like fulfilling the Maida or? Yeah. So, how how does this thing about not being filled up off of bread and meat that not happening twice in a day? How does it relate to this hadith about the one third, one third, one third? Is that? Well, the interesting thing about the one-third, one-third, one-third hadith is that that's the second half of it. So the the first half of the hadith is actually that it's sufficient for the son of Adam or the daughter of Adam by extension to like a few morsels of food is sufficient for them to literally to keep their back straight. That these this little bit amount of food that they eat will keep them upright, and and if if they're if they have to have more than that, then they can have one third for food and one third for drink and one third for water, or for uh, for drink and food and and for air, for space. Um, how does that relate to like what it, what actually is what does it mean to be satiated, you know? Um, the first, the other hadith is just saying that it didn't happen, and how much, uh, you know, I'm sure there were times, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, that he was invited, that he would eat to his fill and stuff like that. But they say that the the upper limit is that one third, one third, one third, and after that, now you've you've gone past satiation. <laughs> May Allah forgive us. <laughs> May Allah forgive us. I know this is like, uh, yeah. Allah forgive us. Yes, Kamran. These days you hear a lot about mm-hmm. intermittent fasting and plant-based and keto and vegan and all that type of stuff. And you hear a lot of conflicting stuff, right? Because scientists apparently can never figure out what the one <coughs> proper thing is. For us, it's like we know that if the process has followed a certain diet or way of eating, especially the Sahaba, and it wasn't meat-heavy, and especially now, based off of what we're learning, that it makes sense. Hmm. But I've been doing a lot of research on this recently, and I come across things where they say, you know, if you can't have meat, have tempeh or tofu and stuff. But then you hmm. read, well, thanks to Monsanto, that's mm-hmm. got a lot of soy, which is processed, and it's high in estrogen, you know, and you go down this mm-hmm. rabbit hole. Do we have, or do you know of any good sources that can educate us on the actual foods that they did eat specifically, instead of just saying they didn't eat a lot of meat? Um, you know, some of these things, and part of the challenge with this is that some of these things are cultural, you know, like some of the things the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam preferred or ate are probably just things that were, uh, they were accustomed to, you know, even we see that in the, the narration with, uh, I believe that was Khalid ibn Walid, where they're like eating the lizard and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was like, you know, I'm not accustomed to it. And, uh... I know, um, what's her name, Zainab Ismail, uh, 
she's like a nutrition person and stuff. She has this idea of like prophetically inspired foods. It's not always that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam like directly ate it, but it might be like a similar family and stuff like that. And there's people who who work on these uh, kind of things, but uh, I don't know how much, how far our level of knowledge in that goes, other than like it seems to have been relatively balanced. I think the most the 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 things that we can say are like their food was very different than ours for sure because they weren't growing any of their plants with chemicals and pesticides and like uh, engine genetically engineered seeds and all this kind of crazy stuff that we have now right and the animals that they were eating were animals that were totally uh, organic free-range all these other terms that we have now right they were actual real, an like normally treated animals that existed in normal life, and and they were slaughtered usually like right before you eat it. It's also something that's really tough to do, right? Um, and that we can say that they just didn't overeat. That much we can say that they didn't overeat, and that their lifestyle was a whole lot more active than ours. <laughs> um, the other things, I mean, uh, you know, there's blessing in it, inshallah, for following the Prophet's eyes on them, but. I don't know how far we can take that. That's just my my thoughts off the cuff on it. I don't know if anyone has anything to add, Imam Mustafa or Khalarullah or anyone else on this topic. Um, but you know, food in Southern California, there's always a new food trend. It's just like every few weeks, there's a new one, and that's yeah. It's really interesting because when you go to different places around the country, you notice what people talk about. Right, so like if you go to the Bay, every single conversation has something to do with entrepreneurship and technology, and if you come to Southern California, like every single conversation has to do with some diet and food and exercise and like, you know, something related to image somehow. <laughs> at Southern California, uh, and other places have their other things, you know. But I don't know. Does anyone have anything on that? There's plenty of collective wisdom in the room. No. Okay. Then let's let's close and pray. Asha, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Allah, we ask you and we turn to you to send your best of praise and blessings upon our messenger, our, our beloved sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Allah, we ask you to accept from us our deeds, to forgive us of our sins and our shortcomings, to give us good in this life and the next. Allah, we ask you to rectify our affairs, those that are apparent and those that are hidden. Ya Allah, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, take care of our affairs, those that are known and those that are hidden. Ya Allah, Ya Rahman Rahimin. Allah, we ask you to bestow your mercy and your kindness and your generosity and your and your subtle blessings upon all of our affairs. We ask you, Ya Allah, to give us the, the capacity to follow the way of our beloved, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and to learn more about him and to follow him. We ask you, Ya Allah, to give us knowledge that benefits us and to benefit us with that which you have given us. We ask you, Ya Allah, to help us to heal our hearts and to be good to others, and to be generous to others, and to be forgiving with others. We ask you, Ya Allah, to make us people of love, and people of service, and people of commitment, and trustworthiness. Allah, we ask you to help us to rectify all of our affairs. We ask you to give aid to those who are suffering. Allah, we ask you to give aid to those who are suffering, to give victory to those who are oppressed, to give facilitation in everything. Ya Arhamul Rahimin. Ya Akramul Akrameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Barakallahu fikum.